Fellow travellers and welcome to podcast 161 in our series You Should Have Been There with me Simon Calder and me Mick Webb and our topic today is the perfect island. Is there such a thing? If so, what are its essential ingredients and where should we go to find it? Well, to help us in this quest, we are delighted to welcome back Lynn Hughes, founding editor of the enduringly excellent Wanderlust magazine. Lynn, it's great to talk to you again, and I believe you have a particular qualification for discussing islands, above and beyond your travel writing credentials, of course. Yes, well, I do actually live on an island, and I'm, I'm <laughs> sitting there right now. Yes, I'm, I'm on an island in the Thames. It's downstream of Windsor. It's not one of the ones with celebrities on it or one of the really famous ones, but it is pretty unique. And in fact, I've just seen the top of a boat go past, (laughs) which is always a bit strange at this time of year. But at least we're recording in the morning, so we haven't got the party boats going past because that could be a bit disruptive. So how do you get there? You you don't have to get a boat to get to your home, do you? No, no, we we do have a bridge onto the island, but I must admit, when I when I go over that little bridge coming home from somewhere, it does feel as if I'm going on holiday, <laughs> because you know, obviously, an island has a very different feel. Somehow, there is something special about it, and so I often just pause on the bridge, look at the water both ways, and ah, it makes my heart sing. And then you are isolated, Lynn. And do you, do you think we have a a kind of um, almost mythic and idealised view of islands, um, particularly places which are perhaps even more, dare I say it, idyllic than yours, shaded by palm trees and, uh, of course, treasure islands where X uh, tends to mark the spot. There's definitely some some appeal, which I, I often think about, you know, what what is it that draws people to islands? I mean, like people get very excited when they hear I live on one. And I think it is partly escapism. You know, it's that feeling a bit like in the old days, you'd have perhaps been in a castle with a moat round and you could have pulled the drawbridge up. I think there's that (laughs) feeling that on an island, you're surrounded, uh, of course, by water. And um, although I have had people ask me, is my island actually surrounded by water? And do you think, Lynn, maybe uh, if you go to an island uh, on holiday, say from a city you kind of feel you would be able to get to know it in a kind of brief period in a way mm. which is quite clearly impossible in in a city that's right no totally I think it's somehow obviously they vary in size so much and you know one could argue Australia's an island but um but when we <laughs> oh I think it's a continent <laughs> well both it's both but when we think of um an island yes we usually think of a small very manageably sized yeah. uh space and exactly right we love the idea. I think it brings out the inner explorer in us as well. We feel that yeah. um, we it's something very manageable. We can get to know it. And we can get to know it from all points of view, from, you know, from its through its geography. But also we can get to know the people because it's usually a small population. Uh, we yeah. can get to know the culture. And, you know, I was thinking that... Um, uh, you know, desert island discs, for instance, really wouldn't be the same thing if it was uh, Rocky Mountain uh, discs or City Park discs. No, absolutely not. It wouldn't have the same ring, would it? So even if you're going to a holiday island at the same time, I think there's almost that 
sometimes that feeling of ownership over it, which, as you say, you would never get in the Rocky Mountains. Well, clearly the island theme um, resonates with listeners to You Should Have Been There and with followers of Simon's very regular tweets. We received a record number of suggestions, so thanks to everyone who has contributed their own perfect island and we'll feature as many as we can in the next half hour. But Lynn, do bear with us for a moment while we mention a couple of responses to previous podcasts. Alistair Wade, for instance, got in touch with a kindness of strangers tale. In 2007, I left my camera on a bench in downtown Toronto, including my photos of the Niagara Falls. When I remembered, 10 minutes later, it had vanished from the bench walked into the foyer of a nearby office block and miraculously a kind stranger had handed in my camera to security. Thanks, Alistair. And of course, thanks, kind stranger. Thanks, too, to Matt H, who had this to say about podcast 159, which featured, you might recall, Stephen Marriott talking about the creative inspiration he gets from walking several of the Caminos de Santiago. Matt tweeted, enjoyed the podcast and identified with Stephen's story of what the pilgrimage meant to him and his subsequent writing. I walk Corfu and write before, during and after walking. Walking the tracks is inspiring and on foot observational skills are heightened. And we'll hear a bit more from Matt later on. No prizes for guessing what his favourite island is. (laughs) Now, uh, that tweet of Simon's that provoked the positive avalanche of responses went like this. In search of the perfect island. That's the theme for the next You Should Have Been There podcast. Mallorca, Manhattan, Mombasa, Mull, Mustique. Your nomination, with supporting reasons, most welcome. And Made in Yorkshire picked up on your alliterative efforts with this tweet. Can't believe you've missed M4 Madeira, a stunning island. And if I'm not wrong, Simon, you didn't really miss it because you've just got back from there. How was it? Well, I was lucky enough to spend a week there and I strongly recommend, like Made in Yorkshire, uh, that anybody who does get the chance to travel out there does so. Um, it's uh, the Portuguese island, of course, apart, separate from the uh, Canary Islands, which are Spanish. Um, still a fair old distance, hour and a half flight from Lisbon, uh, deep in the North Atlantic. And it's effectively uh, the, the kind of top one third of a, a group of mountains. So spectacular landscapes and being part of Portugal, it's very friendly. Um, it's very relaxed, uh, very affordable as well. And so therefore, I, I I think it's most definitely a contender for the perfect island. And for an impartial assessment, I talked to tour guide Rubina Vieira. Rubina, you're a tour guide here in Madeira. Yes. Can you help me find the world's perfect island? Of course I can. You are here, Madeira. What else? The perfect island, Madeira. (laughs) What's perfect about it? What's perfect? Well, the weather, the nature, the people, the food, everything. (laughs) Um, The airport isn't very perfect. Why? Because um, the airport, quite often, you find that you are diverted to Lisbon, oh. to, to Tenerife, to Gatwick sometimes on a bad day, and that's that's frustrating. Oh, but those are things that 
doesn't happen very often, so... But the airport now, it's much better. You should see it before the year 2000. <laughs> the runway was not so long as nowadays, so... What would you say are the um, top three highlights for people coming here? Oh, that's difficult. Well, depends of what people want to see and want to do, but I would say the number one, uh, of course, to visit the capital, Funchal. That's a highlight. And then to go to the west side of Madeira to see the, the nature, the laurel forest, especially northwest and uh, the east side of Madeira, the, the highest mountains of Madeira, corresponding to one of the oldest volcanic groups in the island. Lynn, so sorry for sidelining you. Um, I propose that we split up the perfect islands uh, that we've been sent into geographical groupings. Uh, we could call them European, the Caribbean region, very long haul islands, and of course, our very own UK islands. But um, do you think that Madeira or Madeira as a European candidate and as described by um, Rubinha and by uh, Simon has a case for being the perfect island? I do think it has a case, yes. Uh, I think so many people just associate it with winter sun, package holidays, and of course there's so much more to it. You know, it's I was pleasantly surprised when I was there to see just how lush and fertile it was. And of course it's famous for its walking ah. because the island is crisscrossed by irrigation channels that date back hundreds of years. Uh, medieval channels and called Levadas. And so you get keen walkers from all around the world go there just to do the walking. And you're going through this incredible scenery of volcanic peaks and, you know, verdant valleys and uh, occasional views down to the ocean. And so it is some of the most spectacular walking in Europe. And it can boast, of course, one of uh, Europe, if not the world's um, outstanding footballers. <laughs> yes, Cristiano Ronaldo, um, who has uh, recently opened a museum and a hotel, the CR7 Museum and the CR7 Hotel. Um, he, he was His uh, number, of course, uh, was number seven. Very, very popular. And also um, uh, helping, I guess, to... Um, move the average age demographic um, ra rather uh, downwards um, from the uh, from the typical uh, visitors to that beautiful island. Well, that's um, always a good thing, I think. Um, I noticed that a couple of our listeners also support uh, uh, Madeira. Um, there is, for example, Sarah Price, who calls it pretty perfect, and and Jules Q. Williams said. Madeira, Portugal, vibrant mountains, waterfalls, black sand beaches, lavada hikes, canyoning, surfing, paragliding, getting back to nature and exploring the laurel forest and the ancient trees of Fanal, known as the Pearl of the Atlantic and the Hawaii of Europe. Well, um, that, that's uh, quite quite bold. I wonder which um, rivals to Madeira as the perfect European uh, island have been proposed. Well, Santorini is a, a, an absolute favourite of, of a number of people. Um, for example, 
Tracy says, hands down for sunset and views. Uh, we've also got a number of other uh, Greek islands. Um, Mrs. Trellis of North Wales, Carpathos, Greece as it used to be before tourism. And Matt H., yes, him, uh, strongly recommends Corfu, which is, I guess, Greece as it is during tourism. And I, I would say a favourite of mine as well for many years. And Sicily also wins many of them. Of course, Sicily, really big, high, largest island in the Mediterranean, and some would say a country in its own right, even though it's part of um, uh, Italy. Uh, Susie says Sicily, in particular Trapani, which is totally unspoiled. The people, the history, even the free car parks run by the mafia. Just wonderful. Well, whatever I guess, uh, Susie, that excites you about an island is uh, is all That's good. very good. I... <laughs> uh, Lynn, have you had any good experiences, mafia-related or otherwise, in Sicily? Uh, for me, Sicily is all about the food. I've certainly had some of the best meals in my life in Sicily. I, I you know, it is known for the cuisine. Um, it's got the most wonderful produce, but also being where it is in the southern Mediterranean, yeah. you get, for instance, Moorish influences on the food. And it's definitely the place for, you know, simple food that's been, you know, where the herbs have been picked that day just before the meal. And yeah, really, really memorable for that. And for exciting car parks, evidently. <laughs> I'm going to see it in a completely different light when I go again. <laughs> Uh, it's certainly on the large side for a perfect island, but I suppose Madeira is as well. And maybe that's what um, uh, people are saying, actually, that you need a reasonable amount of um, uh, stuff, you know, if you're really going to be um, occupied for a while on your perfect island. Uh, I, I agree with that. And let's, let's have, move over to Spain, if we may. Um, yeah. Absolutely. The two favourite islands for British visitors, and they have been for decades, are Mallorca and Tenerife. Of course, one of the Mediterranean, the other one, Atlantic, part of the Canary Islands. And yes, they have got great beaches. They've got wonderful scenery. Uh, they've got interesting towns. And so they're, they're pretty complete, but uh, they've also got the scale. Interesting that um, Menorca uh, got no votes because I yeah. know it's a particular favourite of yours and exactly one ninth the size of Mallorca. Oh, well, that's interesting. I mean, I think that uh, uh, it's got a lot going for it, uh, Menorca. It, it is maybe not nearly as much fun as, um, as Mallorca, but um, it's got an absolutely brilliant coastal path which runs all the way around the island. And uh, it's also got a absolutely... Beautiful uh, little city, Ciutadella, at uh, one end, uh, and uh, a sort of um, decent kind of mountain uh, in the middle. I think it's got lots going for it. Um, uh, and also, you know, there was no mention of Croatia's myriad islands. It's got over a thousand islands, and only about 50 of those are inhabited. And um, they are, to pick up Lynn's point earlier, incredibly different. Um, there's a sort of grouping in the north, uh, the Kavana Islands, which I think are very nice, um, including Ilovik, which is a tiny island, but is absolutely lovely. And uh, it's six square kilometres, so you certainly can walk around it. It's got a sort of pretty little village. Um, it's completely car-free, which I would say was a 
very good uh, thing indeed. <laughs> um, and it's got it's got a, a, a lovely little hill come mountain in the middle with the splendid name of Did, um, which is probably <laughs> pronounced Deed, um, 96 metres uh, in height. And uh, you've got great views over the on a clear day, of course, of of, of um, all the other islands in the Kavane group. So I'd say very good indeed, and one that I've never been to, but I think is possibly um, a perfect island, which is called uh, Millette, which is only um, an hour or so on a fast ferry from extraordinarily um, over-visited Dubrovnik, and uh, couldn't be more different. Uh, it, it's a a very uh, lush green island, it's a national park, and uh, and a marvellous place, I believe, to watch sunsets and um, snorkel. So I'm looking forward to going to that one. Well, I'll see, if I may, your millette, and I will raise you shelter. This is one hour off the coast of Split, which I think, uh, for my money, is an even more spectacular city than Dubrovnik. And this is one which was just, uh, as, as all these things are, um, all the best things are, recommended to me. And you have got an, a lovely island 700 feet above the Adriatic in parts, draped in pines. Um, it's got a kind of a uh, serration of outcrops, sheer drops, um, uh, and the odd beach as well, lovely villages. And crucially, um, it has a kind of um, Marshall Tito era um, hotel, which uh, is just really good fun with a, um, uh, with, with a, a pool, um, places to eat, and really prices at uh, Marshall Tito levels. Yeah, I was going to say, can I throw one in then if we're going to be on Croatian islands? Of course, Lynn, please. Um, it's an island. And I do think one reason why people don't talk about the Croatian islands so much is that they can't pronounce the names of them. <laughs> this, is a, this is a definite theory of mine. Uh, but this particular island I want to mention, it is spelt C-R-E-S. Ah, yes. But it is pronounced something more like stress. Stress, yes. Stress. And it's very stressful trying to say it, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And, um, again, you know, it, it isn't over-touristed. You can have a cove to yourself. It's got a beautiful interior. It's got medieval buildings again. But it's a real one for nature lovers because it's probably the only place in the world where you can see griffin vultures from above. So um, griffin vultures nest on the cliffs there and take off from the cliffs. They've got very high cliffs. And so it means you can go out on boat trips and see the griffin vultures from below. And it means that you can stand on the cliffs and you can be looking down on them as they soar. Very easy to reach, relatively speaking. It's just to the east of the Istrian Peninsula and Pula Airport has loads of flights to get there. Let's go uh, quite a few thousand miles west, though, and have a look at the Caribbean suggestions. Of course, lots of people um, seem to think that, uh, that that this part of the world is um, uh, the ideal. Matt, Richard Mallet tweets, Mustique scores a perfect 10 on a yacht pull-up, drop anchor, dive overboard and swim to Basil's Bar for a lazy mid-afternoon cocktail or two and swim back. Perfect. Mm, well, it's a lovely idea. Maybe not. Um, uh, what should we say? Accessible to um, uh, most uh, holiday makers. Certainly not. 
But something more mainstream than Mun RPA recommends Barbados for friendly islanders and the spectacular seascapes. And Tony says um, St. Thomas Island in the US Virgin Islands. Absolutely stunning. Any views on your favourite, Lynn? Maybe one of the larger ones, Jamaica or um, Cuba? Jamaica. It was uh, a real dream to go there. And I finally got to go last year and it didn't disappoint. Of course, you've got this wonderful soundtrack everywhere you go of reggae music. And that alone, in the same way that with Cuba, so much of it is about the music and gets you into the atmosphere. I found the same with Jamaica. Every bar, every restaurant, everywhere you go. Um, And it was worth uh, exploring Kingston. I went around Kingston with a wonderful guide who showed me this whole area of music murals that take you through um, music over the last few decades and that was a wonderful sight. But again, with Jamaica, yes, it's a big island, but it's not just about the resorts. There's so much more, and it's got the mountains, it's got nature, it's got wildlife. It's got little-known strips of coast, like Treasure Beach, Uh where I stayed a few nights. And, you know, turtles come onto the beaches there, plenty to see all around. And what's wonderful is the accommodation is mostly locally owned, And so you're staying at whatever level, you're staying at family-owned hotels and guest houses. And it really did feel like the proper Caribbean somehow. And one reason I think for that is because, of course, it has the scale, which um, you don't get with these other um, kind of smaller islands. Jamaica, um, Hispaniola, of course, which is split between both the uh, uh, Dominican Republic and Haiti and Cuba have a great deal of um, of, of um, uh, culture there. And I would, um, uh, I, I must say that appeals to me much more. Um, we've got a, uh, a recommendation here from uh, C. Cantore for Providencia, uh, which is another Caribbean island, a very little known one. I have actually been there. You can get there on a little 19-seater plane from San Andres, oh. another Colombian island, and it is um, beautifully dream, uh, green. It's the it's tear-shaped, which is lovely. Uh, it's got a quiet little capital, Santa Isabel, and uh, little more than an airport. And uh, great for a day trip, but I would say um, after that, you would um, you you'd start to begin to wonder what oh. else there was to do. At which point, head back to <laughs> San Andres, where which is much more exciting, where they've got something called El cliff which is a cliff and nothing to do with um uh, our great um, <laughs> oh, but simon you see i disagree because much as i love the bigger islands like jamaica and cuba and like you say they've got the scale and they've got so much culture but i still i think we all dream of finding that small island where you get to know the locals and you hang out with them and it's a slower pace of life. And for me, I, I went to the Bahamas a few months ago and my favourite place there was somewhere called Cat Island. It's not named oh. after the Pussycats. It's uh, named after a rather notorious pirate, Arthur Cat. But um, it had no skyscrapers. It had no big resorts. Everything was family owned. When you sat down to dinner, you knew that the fish had been caught that day 
by a local fisherman just offshore. You knew that the fruit and the vegetables had been picked in the last couple of days from somebody's garden. And I think, you know, you just, it's not a day trip. You need to spend a few days somewhere like that to really get into the local vibe, really slow down and appreciate, you know, the the quieter and simpler things in life. And even there, it had its own music scene. It's got a type of music called Rake and Scrape. And it was, <laughs> um, it was started by uh, former slaves, they believe. And they didn't really have any instruments that they could play on. So they just had to improvise with what they had. And so they one thing that everybody had was a handsaw. For making things so a saw even now is one of the instruments and um so it's a unique form of music and they have some brilliant musicians there they have a festival rake and scrape festival every year so even on a small island with a small population you can still find culture for me uh the best caribbean islands and i don't really know them very well are the ones that have uh a really decent um forested mountain usually a volcano of some kind in the center and then beaches all around Um, and uh, I think we might say that Grenada possibly falls into that category Um, and uh, Graham Neal for example says great wildlife scenery multiple waterfalls Tons of spices, of course, it's the Spice Island. Unbelievable beaches like uh, like Grandons. Um, great food, and best of all, the people. And um, I, I would give a shout out for Tobago as well, which is um, you might call medium size in that it's much smaller than um, Jamaica or um, or its neighbour Trinidad. Um, uh, but again, um, marvelous. Uh, uh, bird life, actually, in particular, and great snorkeling beaches, um, fantastic uh, seafood, and 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 again, very good music, and plenty of opportunity to um, get to know, talk with, and uh, have a very pleasant time with uh, local residents. There were several shout-outs for um, very distant islands, long-haul islands, some of which I'd uh, never even heard of. Well, I'm going to pick up with Peter, who says Tioman Island, because I've been there around 1990. Well, I've been there rather more recently, Peter, and it's a lovely place just to describe it. Um, You get there from the east coast of Peninsula Malaysia, and it's a boat trip of two or three hours, I recall. And when you get there, you might think if you uh, are into old films, wow, this looks um, very familiar. And it was actually the location um, where South Pacific was filmed. And so you can see where they uh, washed that man right out of their hair. And again, I... I think it's the sort of place that Lynn would love and she would spend a couple of weeks there and get to know every Mm. single one of the islanders. (laughs) I had a lovely day, um, beautiful to explore. And then I um, hopped on a little plane, which took me to Singapore, where I felt um, uh, that that was more the kind of island that I adore because there's so much going on uh, in in, um, a place that's um, barely bigger than the Isle of Wight. And talking of the Isle of Wight, by the way, we will be talking about your UK favourite 
Brits next week. We simply couldn't squeeze them in. On the other side of um, of the Malaysian Peninsula, um, uh, Mr. P. A. Mason says Langkawi is a great place. I agree, Mr. Mason, but I'd say Penang mm. actually has more to it, better scenery, uh, more beautiful beaches, and of course the lovely colonial town of Georgetown. Have you been to Penang? I have, and I totally agree with your comments. It is so much more beautiful than you expect. And Georgetown itself, it's uh, just a wonderful place to walk around. And also, of course, it has wonderful food. But if we really are talking long haul, then how about somewhere like St. Helena, right out in the South Atlantic? Ooh. <laughs> no. Um, but you, you, you managed to get a plane that actually managed to land there. It's even even trickier than uh, Madeira Airport. It is, of course, notorious, <laughs> fairly notorious for its airport. So, yes, it's very spectacular. So it's right out in the Atlantic uh, between southern Africa and South America, slightly closer to Africa. That's the route you go in. And when you are approaching it on a plane, of course, it's only had the airport for a few years. When you're approaching on the plane, you know, you're going over this expanse of ocean and suddenly you see this tiny island. And I must admit, you do think, are we really going to land down there? And it, but yes, it takes you down. It does land. And it's probably one of the most spectacular landings in the world as well for that reason. Once you're there, it's a small island. I think it's only about the size of the Isle of Wight. But there is so much packed into it. You've got all these different eco-zones. You've got black sand beaches. There's incredible diving. I'm not a diver myself, but I know that um, a lot of people who do go there go for the diving. You get whale sharks. So you can go, if you're not a diver, Mm -hmm. you can go out on boat trips and see those. And you've got the people, you know, it's uh, the local people there are so friendly. And in fact, I I only saw a St. Helena the other day when I was at an event and immediately, you know, they gave me a big hug (laughs) because they feel they know me. Well, they probably do. Is it one of these places where (laughs) after a week you kind of, you do know everybody on the island? You do get to know people, definitely. Mm. And you start to almost recognise as well different families and understand, you know, who's related to who and so on. And uh, there's so much history of there. And, of course, St. Helena was the place that Napoleon um, was exiled to after he'd escaped from Elba. So they had to put him somewhere that he wouldn't be able to escape from. And he was on, so he was on St. Helena. And so one of the things you can go there, do there is go and see his house. Yeah. It's also um, home, not Napoleon's house, but the governor's house is home to the oldest land animal in the world. And that is Jonathan the tortoise. (laughs) And they've got no idea exactly how old he is, but they believe he's approaching 200. And he's very friendly. And he's got tortoise friends as well. They're giant tortoises. So lots and lots. It's just one of those very quirky... (laughs) very memorable places to go and very friendly as well and yeah very, I recommend that's it. That's very good and your mention of uh, uh, Jonathan the tortoise um, 
makes me uh, realize that nobody, uh, and that includes us, has mentioned the Galapagos, but that is uh, another matter, perhaps uh, something to discuss next week, along with, um, of course, uh, the suggestions that people have for the best uh, UK uh, island. We're very, very keen to get your views on what you've heard in this podcast. And maybe uh, if you've not yet uh, supplied your own um, piece of heaven, whether it's, uh, for example, Easter Island or the Sundays off the coast of Australia, you can tweet us at you should have BT or leave us an audio message at anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. And we will be talking more about UK islands next week, including a contribution from Lynn. Um, but for now, from me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye. And it's a goodbye from me, Lynn Hughes. <laughs>